seen until you let go of what is seen. I'm talking about your money. I know y'all be loving this shit right here. I see why. MG is right here. Okay, I had to get that out of my system. <laughs> you had to wait until we started recording, too. Yeah, I did. Just I, like... did. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of it all day. I thought it was so clever. <laughs> oh, man. So, how you doing, buddy? Um, a lot better once I shut this door. Hold on. <laughs> we're off to a great start. <laughs> Folks, I just want to say, we're going to do this entire episode without notes, which is horrifying to me because I'm an over-preparer. So, this is either going to be the greatest uh exercise in improv or it's going to be a complete disaster and you won't ever hear us <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see we'll That's see weird. and dalton was away from his desk when i said all that so have a nice little treat when he decides to edit this thing well can you hear me yeah i can hear you yeah okay cool we, cool, we cool. got past I'm... that moment like three sound checks ago <laughs> come on get it together <laughs> jesus <laughs> Oh, man, my week was interesting. I uh, ventured back to the night shift at work. A co-worker yeah. of mine caught COVID. Many co-workers of mine caught more COVID. More than one from what she said. Yeah, from the, like, we started the week with zero people having COVID. And by the time the week ended, there is five. The count, the tally count is five people that have COVID. And you're not that big a shop. No, about 35 people across all shifts. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a high percentage. Yeah. Yeah, and not to mention, uh, he caught it in Florida. He went on vacation, and he went to Florida. And uh, Because, of course, came Florida. Oh, well, yeah, of course. Uh, he went to, I think, Disney. And uh, when he got back, like I saw him come in, and I, was, I dapped him up. I was like, hey, man, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. I gave him a hug, all that good stuff. And we sat there and talked face-to-face for a good minute. And uh, guess what, people? The vaccine works because I do not have COVID. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's good. Why did that just happen? If you hear a loud rumbling out in the distance, I didn't fart. There's just a thunderstorm in the area, so don't worry. <laughs> Is it still hot? Is it still taking your shirt off weather hot? Fuck yeah, dude. It's hot. It's uh, humid more than anything. It's like yeah. you walk outside and you feel like you just got out of a really hot shower. Like, you know, the steam's everywhere. You just feel muggy. That's what yeah. it feels like outside down here. You walk outside and you, yeah, you, it definitely feels, I know exactly what that feels like when you just, you, you take a shower, then you go outside and you feel like you just got out of another shower. Yeah. 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 But like your clothes sticking to you and you're like, fuck, Ugh, man, this God, feels, like, feels like you're inside someone else's armpit. <laughs> That's exactly what it feels like. It's like, man, this is terrible. I can't think of much else that I would like less. Uh, but yeah man back on the night shift he worked the night shift the guy that i'm taking over for uh 8 p.m to 8 a.m on a uh really funky schedule i guess most people i don't know how you, have trouble with it i would have so much trouble with it i don't know how you work that i when i so many many moons ago i worked at um a 24-hour retail location and i did a few months um i think I don't actually remember how many months at this point, but a couple months on the overnight shift. I think it was either two or three. And it was brutal. But the way that they did it was you did four long shifts in a row, and then you had three days off. So four on, three off, four on, three off. And I could, honestly, I could barely sustain myself back then. I mean, I was much younger. 
I was, you know, single at the time, living with a roommate, so it didn't really matter. We just had office right. schedules, but boy, that was tough. That was, I, I just, you have my, some people are built for it, but even people that are built for it, I think, burn out after a while. Yeah, yeah. It's, I was on that schedule for about a year before I got the current job that I'm in right now within the same company. And uh, it was hard, man, because like it was two days on, two days off, three days on, two days off three days off and then back to the resets plus so let's say i got a let's say i'm starting a two-day schedule i have a kid and my wife works from eight in the morning to around three o'clock so i want to i have to watch my kid my wife goes to work so i get up with my kid watch her and then my wife comes home i eat dinner with her then i go to work from 8 p.m to 8 a.m that's 24 hours right there and then i try to get me a little sleep go back to work 8 p.m., get off at 8 a.m., then that's my day off. So I'm watching my kid for my wife to go to work, and that's another 24 hours no sleep. So there's multiple times throughout a week I was going 24 hours with no sleep. And last week, the Leroy Jenkins – or shit, fuck. The Leroy Jenkins episode <laughs> that you guys heard, um, I had just got off work when I edited that episode. Well, no, I didn't just get off work. Hold on, let me back up. No, you had like a whole ass day. You were texting me all day. (laughs) Dude, I uh, got up at around 11, hung out with my kid, and uh, went to work at 8 p.m., worked until 8 a.m., got off work, got the lawnmower, cut my grass. With shoes on this time. With shoes on this time. Which is something he doesn't do very often. Fun fact, (laughs) Dalton loves cutting grass in bare feet. Yeah, you're outside, man. It's the white trash heartthrob. It's not just a name. <laughs> it is a way of life. <laughs> it is a commitment to his gimmick. It is not a gimmick. It's just how I live. <laughs> but uh, I got done cutting the grass around one, and I edited the podcast from one to around five thirty, six o'clock. By the time I got done editing, I was on my 30th hour of no sleep. So, listeners, I love you. I would not do it if I didn't <laughs> love this shit. Okay? <laughs> and, and also, just got to put this out there now, because we're not totally sure if or how this is going to affect our schedule in terms of releasing things, because Dalton's on a, on a wild one. Um, so, we'll, we'll try and keep people posted, but there might be some... We might not be as consistent as we try to be. Um, so, just, you know, be warned. that That's a possibility. But... Brother's got to yeah. work so we can feed that family and keep that roof over his head. And shit ain't cheap. <laughs> shit, ain't, shit ain't cheap, even in South Georgia. Shit ain't cheap. Oh man! So how was your week? It was good. I worked like crazy too. It was a really rough week, which is part of the reason—not rough. I mean, I got through it, but part of the reason that we're going to do this kind of improvised uh, episode today. But yeah, just I mean, worked worked a bunch and came home and. Crashed and burned and had no time for research. And now here we are. Um, that's like the most boring update I could possibly have come into. Uh, I know uh, I'm, I know I'm settling into old age when I like have just recently figured out or just taken the time to figure out Sudoku, you know, that number game. Yeah. Yeah. I know how to do Sudoku. Yeah. I, I didn't pay attention. I know it was like a craze years and years ago and I just never even tried. But now that I tried, I'm like hooked. I'm like on my, you know, playing it on my phone and I'm just, it's, it's a lot of, I'm pretty sure I learned in school actually. Really? Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's all I how to do Sudoku in school. That's okay. I guess that's a fun way of like Higher. pattern recognition or not even pattern recognition, but like critical thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Because it's not right. math. It's hard. <laughs> it's definitely not. It definitely wasn't math. I can't. I'm trying to remember what subject. I want to say it was like world history. Maybe I'm not sure. To be honest, that's, I'm not 100 percent sure which class it was. That's a but I know that like. <laughs> fuck, man! It might have. I don't know. I I know it was high school. I know it was high school. Shout out to the Georgia public school system. <laughs> <laughs> that that ain't my joke, they brother. Didn't teach us that the, they didn't teach us that the Nazis did World War One, but they sure did teach us Sudoku. <laughs> maybe you learned Sudoku on the, the day that you were supposed to be learning about the Nazis. Oh, maybe, maybe. That's a possibility. <laughs> and they're like, we think this is a little bit too heavy. You know what we're going to do? We're going to play Sudoku all day. That's that's what we're going to do. This is just a tad sensitive. It, it just a little bit. But, it, you know, yeah, it makes sense because they don't really, you know, some of those good old boys don't like that light shine back on them <laughs> when they oh, no, suddenly no, no. realize uh, when they go, oh, man, we're the bad guys. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a, there was if you uh, roam the halls of Lanier County High School from uh, 2008 to 2011, there was not uh, fuck. There was an abundance of uh, Confederate flag merch on walking the halls, so it's not the most uh, good. <laughs> it's not a good. <laughs> not, wait, not wait, good. So, not a good place. So this year is the year of your. We're probably past it now, but your tenth high school reunion. Yeah, a decade out of high school. May you, May made a decade. Did you go? No, fuck no, I didn't go. I want to see them fuckers for. <laughs> Hell no. I had a feeling that was gonna be your answer, but I was like, I gotta ask anyway. Dude, I had to like remove myself from the group on Facebook. They were like spamming me with invites. I'm like, I'm not fucking paying to see the people that made my life hell for four years. Fuck that. Uh uh-uh. uh. At least yours is just a <laughs> car ride, you know? Like, at least it's just a drive. I was getting invites. I just had my, I guess two years ago, I got invited to the 20th, and it didn't seem like anybody was really planning it. It just was kind of happening. And they were like, here's a, here's a date, and here's the time, and here's a place. And I'm like, I am, I'm not flying back to Colorado to go to this fucking thing. That's Mine was uh, like in a bar, just a bar in Valdosta. That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know it was open bar. Like you pay like a certain fee or whatever, and it was open bar, and they rented it or whatever. But- I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that anybody planned ours. I don't know. I really don't know what happened. I just was given. They're like, hey, this is what date it's coming. And I'm like, I'm not wasting my money on this on a plane ticket. Out from See, New I don't York even know why they bothered because fucking there was only, I think, either 47 or 48 graduates in my class. And out of those 47 or 48, there's only 25 of us in that Facebook group. So we're gonna rent a bar for 25 people (laughs) like that doesn't make sense do you do most of them do you from what you know have most of them stuck around that area uh i'd say most of them yeah yeah Yeah. a lot of nurses a lot of nurses in that class a whole bunch of like nurses and uh pas and dental assistants and stuff like that Listen, I, I, I actually i gotta i gotta confess i really only trust nurses that are really good at sudoku so that's a good thing yeah they're really smart a lot of brain power <laughs> i have learned one thing and this is not to disparage this is nothing to do with nurses it's just related to the medical field i you know the, the the older i get the more stories i see about like weird doctors and lawyers and i'm just like you know what not all doctors and lawyers are smart some are just really good at studying and getting through school <laughs> and then once they get their degree they 
absolutely lose their minds and go crazy like with these these you know, quote medical experts and legal experts that are all around right <laughs> my cousin uh my cousin hit the lottery uh and she married a doctor and he let me in on a little 411 there's a lot of googling that your doctors do oh, yeah. there's a whole lot of web mds <laughs> yep 100 percent, 100 percent. i've had a few people that have like either been married to doctors or been in a profession that have also said the same thing they're like Man, it's a lot spookier than you think. Like, good doctors are hard to find. There's, right, there's right. a lot of there's a lot of people, and I just feel like I actually have told this to, to interns we've had at my current job. I, I told one of them. I said, you know, the thing I learned becoming an adult is that none of us really know what we're doing. Like, we're just doing our best to get through the day and not get fired. <laughs> like, right. That's really it. Like, it's it's not. It, it, there's a confidence thing to it. Like, some people pull it off a lot better and act a lot more confident, and they're the ones that kind of progress further and further. But I guarantee you that there's, I mean, there's so many people that are just going through the motions and faking it. And you know what? That's okay because you're not the only one. So when you have like imposter syndrome, everyone else feels the same way. Yeah, man. Like when I was a kid, adults seemed a lot more adultier. Yeah. (laughs) They were lying. It was all an act. They weren't. Right. They were the same as you are right now. That's, that's, that's the, that's the big deception. I don't know, but. I don't know, like adults when we were young did not like the stuff that young kids like today. Like I find myself like vibing with Gen Z a lot more than I do like the bitter people that are my age. Does that make sense? There's there's slight generational. And I think that just comes from the state of the world and the technology and stuff like that. But I think at the heart, at the core, yeah, it's it's the same thing. You know, my parents were smoking a ton of pot when I was a little kid. Um, I I remember when I had that realization i think it was in high school and i smelled pot for the first time and i had like an instant flashback and i was like oh my god that's what my dad used to keep in those empty 35 millimeter film canisters like it was just like it came back from my childhood it was like my dad was a giant and continues to be a giant pothead <laughs> you know Dude. and he used to stash that shit at the house and i would like open certain canisters and it would smell like pot and i didn't know what it was until I mean, you had a very different childhood. My grandparents <laughs> were like strict religious like people, and I know they didn't smoke pot. And I didn't really know my dad that much, but I saw him doing crack once. But that's besides the point. Uh, and my mom, I know she's never smoked pot either. Like she's never done any drugs. I, I ate an edible one time at her house. She's not really like about it. Right. But I offered it to her. She's like, nope. I've never touched it. I'm never going to touch it. You can keep that to yourself. And I was like, okay. Yeah, that's but you're missing yeah. out, bud. <laughs> that that was not my that was not my s- s- particular scenario. Not that I'm saying it was a bad childhood or anything. I don't want to get that that right. confused. I just that was a moment where yeah, of, of realization. Yeah, which and then I think of like I the parents that I know that are my age or you know around my age. You know, like as soon as the kids are out, the vodka's out or the edibles are out. I remember like, one time, pretty similar. <laughs> I remember one time my mom and my stepdad went out. It was just me and my stepbrother at the house. And they had like a big, big, it was shaped like a rifle. I remember it was shaped like a rifle, a bottle of vodka. And me and my brother, or stepbrother, we drank all of it, almost all of it. And we had the bright idea. They had it in the freezer. We had the bright idea. Let's fill it up with water, put it back in the freezer, and they'll never know. What our dumbasses didn't think about, vodka doesn't fucking freeze. (laughs) So they got back and they look in the freezer and they see this block of ice in this vodka bottle. And they're like, what the fuck happened? And we're like, well, I don't know what happened. <laughs> we're fucking holding our heads about to throw up. <laughs> <laughs> 
He was born a delinquent. He's going to die one, too. I'm amazed that the bottle didn't explode if you filled it all the way up. Well, we didn't fill it all the way up. It wasn't full when we got it. Okay. That was really smart. (laughs) (laughs) She she came in thinking it was some sort of miracle, like water into wine. (laughs) Like suddenly there's more vodka in the bottle. Um, Oh, man. Anyway, well, so I guess we'll just, we'll kick things off. Um, I would put this out there that this is not necessarily a grifter, kind of, very loosely, very loosely. I think feels it's that. Grift to say, grift adjacent. It's grift adjacent. I would say it is like shitty capitalism run amok. Is, and that's right. definitely a major theme if you haven't noticed this yet. Um, a theme of the show. And so I just felt like, hey, maybe this will be fun to do. It's something different. Maybe you'll like it. Maybe you won't. Um, but we want to talk about a, um, a, a couple of shitty capitalists. Um, <laughs> like, just they're not even con men, mate, really. They're just kind of a couple of money hungry, money grabbing. Dudes. I, I think it was a con to a certain extent because these kids didn't come to this festival expecting water to be four dollars a bottle. You know yeah, what I mean? Okay, yeah. But I mean I also think that that's like capitalism run run rampant, you know? And you know, you spend all your money trying to go to this festival and you're like, I'll just bring water with me and they take all your water out the door and then like you're dying of thirst out in the field and you're like, All right, well water's four dollars a bottle. When you don't have four dollars, what are you supposed to do? Just fucking die? <laughs> All right. Well, Dalton, I was trying to intro the episode, and <laughs> oh god, I just Dalton gave away just half of the episode. Hit, hit the ground running. So anyway, what we we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about a couple of shitheads <laughs> who threw a big concert. All hell broke loose. Then they blamed it on Fred Durst, and I, it wasn't really his fault. Not entirely his fault. Though so this is an episode. I love how all the blame was on Fred. <laughs> <laughs> that fucking Fred Durst. It would have been fine without Fred Durst, and you, you would have got away with it too. That guy with the weird face paint next to him. <laughs> Put some respect on West Borland's name. I, I, yeah, I actually do like West Borland. <laughs> I have to say, uh, but this is an episode about Woodstock '99, um, also known as when Dalton and Austin's uh, youth and music tastes clash head on. Oh. <laughs> Even though we're not really going to be talking about the music, I don't think. <laughs> Dalton will oh, find a way. Yeah. Oh, so definitely a time of its generation. <laughs> so, do you, do you we, get that reference? Is that the who? Generation? No, it's the Biscuit song. Oh. My Gigi Generation. We no. don't, don't See, they stole that. Can. That wasn't we theirs. That wasn't theirs. You give a fuck about me, <laughs> my generation. Started. This is what we. This is we already started this. We haven't even started talking about like the opening night. Take my advice. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm going off the rails. (laughs) So, uh, I'm pulling you back in. I'm reeling you back in. Come here. This is the first time you've had to to like. (laughs) (laughs) This is the first time you had to be like Dalton. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) No, this is this is this is just an example of why I always have notes. So, so what is the name of the documentary that we watched we both watched and that we're going to talk about in sort of a the capital you know not the capital in the context of money oh you mean the one i stole yes Dalton. <laughs> woodstock 99 peace love and rage yep and it's available it, on apps although you can find it other places on the internet for anybody who didn't hear that because Dalton's mic went 
bananas for a second there. It's on HBO Max. <laughs> you still there? Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I thought we were done with that part. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, kick it off. I want to. I want to get your 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 thoughts on some of this stuff. Um, or unless you want me to kick it off. Um, thoughts on the documentary as a whole, or as on Woodstock '99. I mean, I guess. I, I, I guess we could talk about maybe they touched a little bit on like the the origins of Woodstock and the two guys that they kind of feature prominently are John Shear and Michael Lang. And Michael Lang is like Mr. Woodstock. He was involved with the first one. The guy Mike uh, Michael Shear was not. He was actually only involved in the most recent two Wood, Woodstocks in quotes. Um, 94 and 99, right? 94 and 99. And yeah, Michael um, Lang is, I mean, that's his brand. Like he is, he's the brand, right? And he, you know, he was, he planned the first one with a couple other, with a team of other people. It wasn't just him, but he kind of stood out because he was all over the documentary um, that they made. And he like has Woodstock.com where he sells like a bunch of merch that are based around the original concert. And like, this is his thing. Oh, really? Yeah. Basically he was also a small time music producer but his big thing has been making cashing out on woodstock for the last um 52 years that's crazy anything woodstock money goes straight in his pocket yeah he's got a company with two of the the other two guys that helped produce the show um one of them who died a few years ago but yeah the three of them have it's like woodstock enterprises and that's where they they pull all their revenues so anytime you see like a coffee mug or if there's like a re-release of the concert itself i mean i think he owns the masters that they recorded while at the concert. So any of the live coverage, he got money from the documentary. So, you know, there's the, the, they talk about how, you know, the original Woodstock didn't make money and and it's true. It didn't make a ton of money right away. Um, They sold the the original Woodstock cost between two, somewhere between 2.4 and $3.1 million to throw or to, to produce and to put on. Wow. And they only made about 1.8 million on ticket sales, but he also, again, he made money off of the music sales. He made money off of the documentary. He's made money over the years, and so it took him a while at first to make the money back, but he did, and then he's turned it into this whole enterprise. So that's kind of what you got to know about him. And he genuinely doesn't seem like the big bad villain in this one. He's definitely one of them because of his involvement. Mm, yeah, I, I feel like. Uh I don't know. I have mixed feelings on him. He, like, he doesn't seem like the big bad guy, but he's not he the main bad guy. He's like, a he definitely had a hand in he's, he's, what he's happened. A, yeah. He's a sub boss and he's actually in more recent years. And I think he saw this with the way that it was edited. He's, he's kind of come out and said, Hey, yeah, we really messed this thing up. Whereas John share has like doubled down and said, no, it's all Fred Durst's fault. Um, <laughs> repeatedly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, just, I don't know, man. That, that John, what's his last name? Sheer. Sheer, Sheer. I, I don't know which one. I don't care. He came across as a real asshole in this yeah. documentary. Yeah. And uh, it's just like the lack of self-awareness to realize that, you know, it. whenever you pack all these uh, teenagers to uh, early 20s kids in a abandoned airbase and you just feed alcohol down their throats all night and you don't expect anything bad to happen. You know, just, I don't know, man. It just feels he's looking for a scapegoat. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, you know, kind of the, the, the real sum up what happened at Woodstock 99. Um, they, and we'll kind of de- delve into the details. But basically, it was a three-day concert. 
with a bunch of acts. Um, by the end of day two, it's sort of, you know, people start to get really wild, start, you know, trashing the, the campgrounds. Um, Sunday morning, a bunch of people start to leave because they're like, this is things are going a little nuts. Um, by Sunday night, they have set fires. There's been a, a group of people setting fires to the, to the facilities. They're flipping cars over, um, looting trucks, looting trucks, looting the, the vendor stands, things like that. It really got out of control. And this documentary, um, kind of goes back and tries to unpack everything and, and figure out like what exactly went wrong. And I think that, I think it illuminated a lot that people maybe weren't talking about at the time, because I think that the coverage at the time was really reactionary. Surprise, surprise. That's <laughs> what, that's what media coverage does. America. Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's ABC or MTV or Mm -hmm. NBC. Like it doesn't matter. They're uh, you know they're all the same because you know what they say in news. If it if it bleeds, it reads. You know, like they want chaos and and blood and what what a great story is like these three hundred thousand predominantly young white men going absolutely apeshit um, at a concert. Um, And who who do we blame for that? That's really what it was. (laughs) So Uh yeah. Go ahead. Well, so by Saturday is starting to get bad, but Friday, the first day that uh, in the documentary it showed, there's like the porta potties are overflowing with sewage. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's just they made this made this space and they just didn't have any way to take care of it. Either they were understaffed or they were oversold. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and so I want to actually want to hit on that a little bit because. Couple of things that were different. Um, 94 had some issues, right? A lot of it came with the weather. A lot of it came with a lot more people showing up than they had anticipated or had bought tickets. And I think what happened was this John Share guy was like, hey, we're not going to let this happen again. You know, like we know we can make money. 94 went off. If we make a few changes to how we do things, we can absolutely create a cash cow and hopefully do this every five years. That's, that's me from what I've seen, what was in the document, what I've read after that what I sort of think happened could be wrong, but that's really what it seemed like. This was like a blatant cash grab because you didn't need a 25th anniversary and then a 30th. Um, and actually they were even planning a 50th two years ago, but canceled it before it was going to happen. So these fuckers knowing what they did about what happened in 99, they wanted to do it again 20 years later. And I just find that to be so craven and boneheaded all at the same time i'm just like really you you guys didn't learn um so a couple of things that had happened and he made a point about saying how how he lost so much money in woodstock 94 because people jumped the fence or tore down the fence um they had a couple issues one was they had sponsorships and there was a big outrage after 94 they said they didn't they didn't like all this corporate sponsorship for woodstock which is understandable right. obviously 94 and 69 are very different years and so one of the intentional things that they did was to eliminate not eliminate but they grew, drastically reduced the corporate sponsorship right so in order to right. make money what do you got to do you got to charge more money for other things tickets for 94 were Originally, $135 a piece for the whole weekend up to a certain date, and then they jumped up to 164 For 99 I think it was 150 initially, and then it jumped up to 180 So the okay. ticket, ticket didn't increase that much, but their pay-per-view did. It was a big deal. They were doing uh, – they were showing this the, the shows on pay-per-view for $30 a day or $60 Jesus. for the entire weekend. <laughs> Versus I just watched like a few Lollapalooza sets last night and they were free on Hulu. Yeah. Like they were streaming the whole event. Big difference. Yep. Yeah. 
So, and then they were also gouging on food and alcohol and water. You know, I mean, it was, they were making a ton of money off of these vendors that were coming through and making things, you know, immediately at the gate, you had to give up everything you had, you know, if you had any beer on you, if you had any food on you, had anything, you had to buy everything in the venue. And so that See, was that's a big ins- gamble. That's insane. My wife goes to uh, EDM festivals all the time and they're allowed to bring in like, you know, the Camelbacks, the hydration packs, mm-hmm. they're allowed to bring those in. And there's a free refill station that every festival she's ever been to. You can fill up your camel back. That way, I, you know, you always have water on you. And I can't help but think that after this con- this concert specifically became the a, a learning point. You know, like a, a learning moment, a teachable moment on how not to do things. Right. And I think a lot of concerts, like big shows like this, multi-day festivals, not concerts, they're festivals, learn. Even because they talk about at the very end, they talk about Coachella in 99 and what a different experience it was, which isn't really a fair comparison yeah i I have thoughts about the coachella uh placement in this documentary yeah it was weird right yeah i was definitely promoting coachella right but (laughs) there's a couple of big differences with that coachella only in 99 only had about seventy thousand uh concert goers right? right festival goers much different and when you walk through the front door guess what they gave everybody Free water. A bottle of water. (laughs) They saw this debacle, whoever was planning that, and said, oh, my God, we can't have this happen. We've got to figure out how to make this not happen. It also had, I think, this this was smart for whoever the, the promoters of Coachella were, they had a really much more diverse you know, lineup, you know, they had about 70 bands compared to the hundred that played Woodstock, but they had them, they were much more multi-generational. There was a lot more female artists. And I know they talk about how the lack of female artists on right. the Woodstock 99, um, stage. There's but only think, three, right? Three, three, three days. Yeah. Three, one each day. Um, so I think it's, I think it was just a different, I think, I think the people that were throwing Coachella actually understood or, you know, understood the audience that they were trying to attract. Whereas the, the, the impression I get from Woodstock 99 was we just want to bring in the biggest acts, not really paying attention to who is playing what or what this music is actually about. And then walk away with a, you know, truck full of cash as a result of it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. This was a desperate attempt to make money. Yeah, it's what it's really what it felt like. I mean, that's, and I think that's what led to most of the problems. Yeah, but I will say, uh, have you ever watched like before this documentary even came out? When I was younger, I used to watch uh, Rage Against the Machines for Stock Ninety Nine set. Man, that like it looked so cool. Yeah, and I'm not going to say what they did at the end of their set because I don't want to turn away any potential listeners. But they did a thing at the end of Rage Against the Machines set, and that very much like was a turning point. And young Dalton's like political views, <laughs> and it was really, really fucking cool. <laughs> well, Tom Morello actually, we'll we'll get to him in a little bit because he he talks about, um, he actually comes to Fred Durst rescue in terms of like everybody blaming Fred Durst for what. Want to talk about odd bedfellows? <laughs> yeah, no, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, you know, I got a lot of respect for for Morello, so I, I, you know. I yeah. like like listening to him and what he had to say, and I think he's got a point. Um, but something else he said that I thought was interesting was how understaffed they they must have been. And when I I was shocked, and and maybe because I'm not a festival promoter or planner, maybe I don't know what the ratio is. But the the security that they brought on, there were only 1,250 people to in security. Oh no! To manage 300,000 festival. Want to talk goers. about being outnumbered? 
That's what I thought. I was like, that doesn't seem right at all. I bet they were scared shitless whenever when things went south. Well, they were, and they left. You know, <laughs> they left when the state when the state police came in. They had a sense. They were like, we need to get out of here. And the and the head of the security said, reverse your shirt, put your you know badge inside your shirt so nobody says it, and get the fuck out of there. You know, because it was getting so so bad. Yeah. Um, and then they deployed 500 state police with riot gear, which, you know, again, seems <laughs> what like a, a fucking joke. I know. Right. But and it, and it took them it took them a few hours to get everybody out of there and to kind of quell things down. Um, but they, they managed to do it. Yeah. But that seems really understaffed. They clearly didn't have enough toilets. They clearly didn't have enough security. People were playing in shit. Yeah, I know. Because do you <laughs> remember 94? Do you remember what happened in 94? No, I don't. I don't know anything about Woodstock '94. So '94, it rained a lot, and actually, it earned the nickname "Mudstock" because it, the field was just covered in mud. But it wasn't shit; it was just mud. And people, the pictures from it are people are like caked in mud, and they were throwing mud balls up on stage, and it was. But they were. It was. It was not violent, or you know, I mean, it was just. It was that actually seemed really cool. Yeah, like it was just like people were having a ball being covered in mud, and they were like jumping in these puddles and everything. And so, I, my 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 sense is that the people that were at Woodstock '99 saw that footage because that was played all over the place too, and were like, "Yeah, that looks fun," and not realizing that actually, no, you were just you were covering yourself in shit, not mud, buddy. There's a big difference. <laughs> <laughs> So the the unofficial anthem for uh, Woodstock '94 was when Primus played "My Name Is Mud" uh, on okay. at their set, and it was a big that was a, that was a ton of fun. You don't know who Primus is, do you? No, they're the band that does uh, the South Park intro. <laughs> <laughs> I should have known that shit. I should have known that would have been your end. <laughs> so, do you want to talk about like what actually happened? I feel like I've taken it up with numbers and and all kinds of facts. And oh stuff. no, no, no! Uh, let's let's get into it. So the festival starts on Friday, and by the end of the day Friday, there's already like reports of porter potties overflowing, and the troughs that are supposed to be there for your quote unquote free water are being taken up by people that are showering inside of the fountains that give out the free water. And you know nobody wants to you know get water that people have showered in. So what's the logical next step, Austin? You bust the pipes. You break the pipes. You break the pipes. <laughs> And turning, you're turning just all of this area into like mud soaked, you know, land or whatever. And then this also happened by Friday too. The, sh- the communal showers that everybody's supposed to use to take the shower in are need to ankle deep uh, in standing water. So, you know, of course these people don't want to shower there because you know it's fucking filthy. You're just bathing in each other's filth. So I mean, it does. And, so it doesn't make sense for somebody to want to get clean and bathe or whatever. And they're going to go to this free water fountain and just bathe in it. <laughs> also, I just want to point out what I, what I kept looking at. Two things. And one is going to be wrestling related. Sorry, non-wrestling fans. Two things. We find a way in every episode, don't we? Yeah, and it's usually you. It's very rarely me. So <laughs> I'm just like, let me have my gold fucking star. I'm going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, the amount of trash that was just produced on Friday alone. Like, the place is just trashed within one day, which also says to me, you're understaffed. You don't have anybody, you know, helping clean up. You know, you're relying on the festival goers, and they're not doing a very good job because they don't fucking care. Number two, the amount of stuff that's being thrown at the stage throughout the entire event. And we're going to 
to pull this back to last week because this reminds me of the Matt Cardona Nick Gage match where all of the old old ass out of touch wrestling journalists commentators whatever were clutching at their pearls going no you shouldn't throw things at the ring and it's like man this has been going on forever it happens at concerts i don't think it's always the best thing in the world to happen because i don't want to see the performers get hurt but i'm also not going i can't believe you would think about throwing something on the stage or in the ring and it's, it's so infuriating because it's happened it happens time and time again when you when people really get into these events and or really are upset by what happened at at, at a performance at a, at a show and i just think i don't know it just reminded me it was very timely because this is a thing that's been happening in the wrestling world uh over the last couple of weeks since since that match that made dalton so happy last week oh i could have just uh, i don't know if i can say it on here but uh <laughs> but i, I just, just like came buckets oh, <laughs> <laughs> jesus <laughs> <laughs> but it's just yeah there's a, there's a handful of like these older wrestler commentators that are just really they were really offended by this and you know they were some of them was talking about how they were plants in the audience and i'm like no this is what rowdy crowds do when they're either happy or unhappy you really can't tell which one it is <laughs> it's, i don't know I, I really couldn't tell <laughs> if they were happy or not but I don't, man, I don't, it does it does make for a cool visual though don't it it does. I mean, you just don't want to see anybody get hurt. That's yeah. that's my whole thing. But it, it, you know, it's it was it was it happened at Woodstock '94 too with mud. Dude, throwing was, mud on stage. During uh, fuck, what's that? God, during the Offspring set, like dude, like Dexter got hit in the face. Yes, like just I, I shit you not. It seemed like thousands of water bottles and trash and whatever they could find just being thrown on stage. And, like, it's fucking nuts, man. Like, dude is sitting there singing it while getting pelted in the face of water bottles. Yeah. I got to tell, I'm going to talk really quick about a movie I'm pretty sure you've never seen before uh, The Blues Brothers. Nope, never seen it. So they roll into the honky tonk where they get a, they get a gig to play. Was Trace Atkins there? No, no he, there was no badonka donk in this honky tonk. <laughs> I see you, Dalton, and I raise you a Trace Atkins song that I, the one Trace Atkins <laughs> song that I know. <laughs> Um, but they get hired to play this gig. They walk in. It's clearly a country Western bar. They're not going to play the kind of blues and like Motown music that the, the blues brothers know. So they get on stage and stages behind like a, like a fence, like, like a hurricane fence. And they, they go, why is that? And they said, so when they bl- throw the bottles, it won't hit the band. <laughs> yeah. So they're essentially in a steel cage playing this and the bottles are just smashing up against the outside of the cage. So this is, this is not a new thing. Yeah. Where do you where do you want to go with it? <laughs> so then, so that's Friday, right? So then we get into Saturday. I'll let you take it from here. No, no, this is all you. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> You've seen this as many times as I have. This is this is like Dalton halfway takes the wheel. <laughs> I'll re- reach over and grab the wheel while you're texting. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what it is. <laughs> Um, on well, to continue on on Friday, uh, there was a press conference where uh, news outlets were uh, asking questions to John Shear, 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 yeah, Shear, John Shear, and dude, John was so confrontational with these uh, press people whenever they would bring up their concerns about this festival because on Friday, this wo- woman asked. Uh, what was going on with the trash? Like the Air Force base that Woodstock 99 was being held on was trashed. And 
they said that they could get a team of people in here. The, the, he's worked at festivals where they had teams of people that would clean up festivals and have it spotless in a day. And he was so confrontational with her. He's like, you get up here, you get up here and you tell these people in this microphone how you can do that. I'll pay you a hundred dollars an hour. I'll pay you a thousand dollars an hour to get up here. And it was just so angry. Like yeah. any, any uh, negative insight about this festival that's obviously going off the rails. He would just confront it with anger. Yeah. He was, he was clearly not taking tips from a professional uh, public relations <laughs> person oh, no. because he would not have just flew off the handle the way he did. And honestly, I mean, it was really defensive because I think a, he knew that everybody was right and he skimped out on, on what should have been done to actually make this a successful concert because you don't hire more people because that eats out of your bottom line, right? You don't hire cleaning people because that takes out of the money that you're ultimately going to make, right? Right. And there's a reason that this this was so skimpy. I mean, it's like greed. You put out the bare minimum just to, you know, to to appease the city, to appease the state, to appease whatever local government you're dealing with. You know, you put up to appease your insurance company because there definitely is a ton of insurance involved with this. If you just hit the bare minimum so that you can walk away with as much money as you can, this is the kind of shit that happens, you know? And couple that, and I don't think we've talked about the venue, that you've gone from the last two Woodstocks in these beautiful open fields, you know, on, on, on farmland, to now you're in an Air Force base with with nothing but pavement, and concrete gets hot, and there's no trees on this pavement, and it's over 100 degree weather. And the reason you put it in an air, air Force base is because you wanted to put up fences so people couldn't jump the fences. So everybody had to pay $180 to get in. Right. Like it's, it just, if there's no, there's, it again, it's, it's so craven and so stupid, but it's, it's really just, it's hard for me to see any other way around what occurred. Have you ever snuck into a festival? No, I'm not a big festival person. I think not- I was, yeah, I think it passed me by. Uh, I snuck into the only festival I snuck into is Warped Tour, one of the last Warped Tours. Um, I drove from Omaha, Nebraska down to uh, Missouri, Kansas City, Missouri. And I got done it all without a ticket. I knew it was sold out. I knew I wouldn't get in without a ticket. So I just looked around the venue for spaces underneath the fence to crawl in. I crawled in, mixed in with the crowd, and I had a great time. <laughs> and a wonderful time. I think, I think part of it is I've been in New York city for the last 20 years and there's not a there's not really great festivals around here and it, it just new york city crowds are the fucking worst especially since cell phones have been invented and maybe this is applicable to everybody else but like new york city concerts for the most part people don't dance they just kind of stand still and watch the show if they're such they're so lifeless and awful that i just can't go but the opposite of that is like New York City wrestling shows, which are just absolutely crazy and bonkers. And so I found myself pretty early like attracted to that because it was so much more fun. Whereas like when I went to concerts, I was like, the band is trying to get everybody excited. Nobody's getting fucking excited because everybody thinks they're too fucking cool to dance in right. public or something. I don't know. I don't know what it is. So yeah, cell phones are the worst thing about uh, shows nowadays. Oh god, a, a band I really like. Every time I die, I was at a show in. St. Petersburg, Florida, one time, and this guy crowd surfed. He got on stage. Instead of stage diving, he took his phone out and tried to get a selfie with the lead singer. And the guitar player came over, kicked his phone out of his hand, and pushed him back in the crowd. And it was wonderful. It was great. And if you watch any Slipknot show, uh, 
going weird thing because you know whatever rest in peace joey jordison but uh the lead singer of slipknot will call out anybody that have a cell phone or call him a fucking pussy and then put his phone up so there's there's uh musicians definitely feel the you know lack of energy from a crowd because of cell phones and it yeah. sucks there's a couple of artists that I've, I, I know about that have, will actually stop the show if they're being recorded or filmed you know with a, with a cell phone right um so okay moving so on saturday. To, moving on to saturday uh this was a camping festival so there were spaces for tents but it really doesn't look like it was planned very well because the tents were on top of each other and it looked like somewhat like you know just a refugee camp you know, there was just tents on top of tents, and it doesn't look like there was any security stations or anything close by. So, really, it's just Lord of the Flies out there, right? Whatever happens, happens. And there was multiple, uh, I don't want to say cases because not everything was reported. I don't know why my hands are up. Like yeah, I don't know why either. You're, like a, a crane, you're about to crane <laughs> kick the microphone. <laughs> this is not a video podcast, Austin. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God, because we got like the Karate Kid today. <laughs> we had Alex Jones without his shirt on last week. This is, this is like I I I get to witness and enjoy the video aspect of this, while all <laughs> of you listeners just get to suffer by our dulcet tones. Oh, there's multiple. Uh, I don't want to call them cases, but there's multiple claims, and use that word loosely because I believe it happened of rape that happened out in Woodstock '99. And not just not just rape, but like gang rape, like multiple men taking advantage of women. And there's video evidence of uh, sexual abuse with men groping women. And there is a section of the Woodstock 99 documentary where John is asked about this stuff and, you know, what he thinks about it and what could have been done to prevent it. And guess what? He does. Puts all the blame on the women. He says, if these women didn't want to get groped, if these women didn't want to get touched, and these women didn't want to get raped, these are not his words, these are mine, but this is basically what he said, then they should have worn more clothes. And this is such a frustrating like way of thinking. You it's, know what I mean? It is the absolute worst way to think about sexual assault. Is It, it is that she had it coming. That's what it is. If you yeah. do, if you dress certain way, you had it coming, and it's it's fucking reprehensible. And you know what? Fuck anybody that says that. I mean, literally, the 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 worst thing that you can say to a victim of any sort of violent crime, just any sort of violent crime, not even just just uh, you know a sexual assault, any sort of violent crime, is you you probably had it coming. Look what you did. What did you do to bring this on? God, that is, I just, oh, I, I can't even. Peace, love, and music, am I right? Yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. So uh, fast forward to my boys at Limp Biscuit, who <laughs> were a uh, big part of this documentary. <laughs> I actually went back and looked, and they were a big part of the media coverage, too. So it's not even just this documentary. This is like, what you're about to talk about is like the big, one of the big narratives of this whole thing. Even at the time. Fred Durst very much wanted the crowd to move and have a bunch of energy. And these, what I don't think he anticipated these kids to be as thirsty as they were and dehydrated as they were and ready for, to do something violent <laughs> as they were. But, you know, he got hired to be Fred Durst. So he's going to be Fred Durst. You know what I mean? And, the festival uh, promoter tried to say he enticed a riot, but I don't feel like these kids would have done anything different if he acted any different. You know what I mean? 
if you just went through the songs and you know played a normal show or whatever i don't think they would have acted any different than they did act i i kind of have two thoughts i think they were looking to go wild and 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 to go and, and and not necessarily get violent but they were really looking for something to kind of fall behind and 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 just there's a lot of pent-up aggression they're hot they're hungry it's like it's there's a lot of like energy there that needs to go somewhere but i also think that like i don't know i think you need to be a little bit more responsible if you're in a position as a performer in front of a crowd that big right you're gonna go out there and you're gonna do your thing right but then there's there's ways to sort of modify your behavior, especially if the promoter is coming up to you. Somebody from the stage is coming up to you after every song and whispering in your ear, hey, things are getting a little out of control. And, and you just, you're like, sorry, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. So I, while I don't put the Yeah, blame, but at the same time, he hired Fred Durst to be Fred Durst. Yeah, but I don't think he fucking knew. he got what he paid for. <laughs> yeah, but I, <laughs> I, I, I don't think he knew what he was getting into. I think this gets into... Like just getting the most popular bands and throwing them on stage, which is also why I don't put it on Durst. I don't think that he was. I think he had a he had a role to play in this thing, but I don't think he's the villain. He's not the villain, you know. I think okay, he came fair. out there that's and fair. he did his thing, but he 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 does have a small role. Like he doesn't walk away completely clean handed in this whole thing, but neither do a lot of the other bands. But I still think it's this promoter uh, looking at you, Red Hot Chili Peppers, or Megadeth. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Megadeth. <laughs> they were they were playing at the same time. They were you know they were on two different stages. I don't know. Megadeth didn't close with a fire, but Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> yeah, as yeah. fires reinstarted. <laughs> yeah, uh, the promoter is coming up to Fred Durst asking, "Hey man, can you calm things down? Things are getting out of control." And Fred Durst says, "This is a bunch of he says she said bullshit." And <laughs> that uh, is a song, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Break yeah, stuff. Okay. The, he plays break stuff after the promoter comes and talks to him, which you guessed it. <laughs> the lyrics of break stuff encourages people to break stuff when they are frustrated. And I very much believe that for, uh, I said Fred Durst, Limp Biscuit is very much, uh, it is a product of its time. And, you know, they're, they're successful now, but they're like a meme band. You know what I mean? Like, they're Limp Biz- you go to a Limp Biscuit show like, oh man, this is fucking Limp Biscuit. This is what people were talking back and talking about in the nineties. And I don't know, man. Like Limp Biscuit, Limp Biscuit is like very cool to me. <laughs> it's a very cool point in time. So I I graduated high school in ninety nine. So this is like Woodstock ninety nine was targeting me, and they had zero interest at that time seeing Fred Durst. I also interestingly enough, there there's so there's so much of the blame that goes towards MTV. Where they're like, MTV was, you know, ruining our reputation as a festival. And I'm like, nobody over the age of 18 gave a shit. 17, even 16 at the time, that was going to Woodstock 99, that was interested in the bands that were there, was gave a shit about MTV. Nobody. Nobody was that was a Corn fan was going to watch MTV for total... I don't know. Total- Korn and Limbis were all over MTV when I was... Yeah, they weren't so- watching Carson Daly. I mean, I was watching TRL. But you weren't the age that would be going to Woodstock '99. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's what and, I'm saying. New metal is very much like the, uh, you know, the Section Eight kids, <laughs> like like myself, the latchkey kids, <laughs> the kid like the single mom that has three jobs, so you're basically home alone all the time. 
that's why that's what those kids listen to <laughs> once again white trash hot throb not a gimmick <laughs> hey listen i you know i had the first corn album i loved it i thought it was like really cool and edgy and dark and it was like a, something different that i had not heard before but i mean that was what 96 that was a freshman in high school blind was on that album right yep yeah yeah okay that's around that time yep but i'm you and i are never gonna agree on on limp biscuit Never, Come never, on. never, never liked him. Never will. Maybe that's gonna get me in trouble. All right, well, let's uh, just keep some, rolling, some rolling, listeners. rolling past this segment. <laughs> um, yeah. what else happened on Saturday, Austin? I'm drawing a blank. So Saturday was the Olympus get played, uh, and things people started tearing up part of the part of the this wooden tower. There was plywood around this tower. It looked like a camera tower, right? That's sort of hard. I think it was a was. camera. I think it was a camera tower. Um. And so they started tearing the wood off of that and then passing around. People were crowd surfing on top of pieces of plywood, which Fred undeniably Durst, cool, right? That was very cool. Well, I got to say, <laughs> I'm gonna, I was about to give props to Fred Durst. Fred Durst actually ended up crowd surfing on one of those pieces of plywood. Once again, Fred Durst. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> he now, he, it's it, the, the ironic thing is like his beliefs and someone like the beastie boys are miles apart at this point but fred durst today actually looks like one of the characters in the beastie boy sabotage uh video i said yes my wife like who is also a limb biscuit fan could not watch the limb biscuit say yesterday because like what he looked he like said, yeah 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 he said at one point he was like are you guys digging my dad vibes and she was like no this is fucking creepy uncle vibes and she walked out of the room <laughs> <laughs> have you have you seen the the sabotage music video beastie boy sabotage yeah uh no you you should watch it right now so you can see what it is and we can edit this out i mean i know sabotage the song but the yeah. video is different oh yeah i see it it looks just like fred durst holy shit <laughs> i know you planned it i'm gonna set it straight this water cake <laughs> The wheels have completely fallen off of this vehicle that is known as this episode. I just this might end up being a lost episode. <laughs> this might be a lost episode. <laughs> um. So yeah. So Saturday ends. The the Fred Durst thing is is a big part of it. Corn plays that night. Speaking of corn, um, and that that is one of the coolest scenes in the documentary. Is the crowd just absolutely losing their mind at corn and and everybody just like the waves that the audience makes it's very very cool oh yeah so saturday night a lot of the aggression was pumped up um there was a quote in there and it says that this is this i think is really kind of appropriate and so there's this dark energy coming from white males that entertainment is both catering to and perpetuating Perpetuate, perpetuating, perpetuating. Wow, why did I have so much trouble with that word? (laughs) Louisiana public schools. That's it. I can't read my own fucking handwriting. (laughs) I didn't type this out. Um, And I think that that's a lot of it. I think it was, you know, Cheryl Crow was interviewed later and then she just said how it was upper middle class white kids who have gotten everything that they wanted their entire lives, but are still not happy and still angry and frustrated about it. See, that quote was jarring to me because a lot of the bands that were on the Woodstock 99 bill was like what we listened to in the trailer park. You know what I mean? But they weren't they weren't charging trailer park prices. Oh, yeah, I guess. You know, I was I was under the impression a lot of this these bands like. 
they played to like poor people. You know what I mean? And and yeah, and I think that they they do, but I also think that there's a. I don't think Cheryl Crow's wrong, by the way. Let me I, just point that oh, out. I, don't I, don't think I think she was. I think she was spot on. I think that was that looked like the crowd that was there. Yeah, it, it did. It didn't look. They didn't have. There wasn't really mullets that I saw. <laughs> well, but even still, I mean, it's like you had to travel. You had to go a long way. You had to have camping gear. You had to pay $180 for a ticket. You had to have enough money in your pocket to buy a $10 burrito, literally a $10 burrito. Jesus Christ. Uh, and that's 20 years ago, just just to put 22 years ago, just put that out there. It, and so it, like, it automatically is going to exclude a bunch of people. And it ended up catering to like angry middle and upper middle class white kids that have yeah. not really had to suffer through, but somehow have this rage. And, a big part of what they talked about was how the landscape shifted. And it was Moby. And I'm just kind of pretty, I don't really have an opinion on Moby. I have bad. an opinion on Moby. <laughs> Moby came off as a bitter, jealous asshole. He did come across <laughs> as really pretentious. But I think he had a point where it was when he was talking about how he had bands like Nirvana and Pearl Jam. Yeah. yeah. And, and that were really progressive and, you know, super, you know, welcoming and embraced all kinds of people. And I think sometimes there's an opposite, you know, equal and opposite reaction to something like that. And that's what we saw. You know, I think that what happens is not to get like too fucking political, but this is always going to get political. And it's like, I think what happens is this, when the status quo gets threatened, it has a violent reaction to it. So when the people that are in charge of things or the people that should be, served to you know the people that are the recipients of of the 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 success of any sort of civilization or you know system suddenly think hey those people that don't look like me or aren't like me are suddenly getting attention and and help and accolades we got to do something about that and you see it over and over again i don't, I don't know if it was articulated in the best way possible but i think no, no, that's I got it. very well very much what happened here on a very small scale and I yep. think that I think that it's happened several times since then on much larger scales. But yep. I digress. Saturday, uh, that was also Metallica, right? Metallica closed Saturday. Saturday, Metallica closed out. Um, I do. <laughs> I did like. I did like Dave Mustaine just trashing um, Lars Ulrich because I think that that's hilarious to me. Do you want my Napster opinion? Yeah, let's do it. Lars was right. But I don't think he's the one that should have complained about it. Mm -mm. I think, yes, Lars is a millionaire. And yes, Lars, you have enough money. But other artists were getting stole from too. And those those artists might not have the most money. You know what I mean? And I disagree. And I'm not a musician. And I know I'll get crap from musicians. And I, I understand that. But I also think that... I think that other fields of art have found a way to make money that doesn't necessarily involve selling copies of the art to the mass audience. But I also think, I think back to what David Bowie said. So I take the Bowie argument where he, when he was alive, and this was actually in the nineties and I thought it was a really interesting thought. He said that copyright will die and musicians will not make money on their music anymore. And he said, the only way a musician makes money is when they go on tour and they put on a show and they perform live. And he said, and I think that that's the most wonderful thing I've ever heard. You know, I'm, I'm butchering the quote, but that was generally yeah. what he was talking about. He said, you have to go out, you have to be on the road, you have to put on amazing shows. You can't half-ass it. You can't be a phony. You have to be an authentic thing. Go out and actually put on these performances and that's how you make money. And he was all for that. And I said, you know, what? there's something to that. 
I very much am a fan of live music, and I think that's how music should be heard is live. But I don't know, man. There's just something about like stealing art that just doesn't. Oh, agree to disagree on yeah, this one. Well, <laughs> I, I, I think back to like, I mean, Spotify is basically stealing art. They yeah, get, they get so little from it. I mean, and that's what everybody has has moved to now because there was a demand from the listeners that they wanted instant gratification. They want to listen to anything now at any moment, and you can't do that if you're having to buy it. Well, Spotify is very much like an answer to people uh, illegally downloading music. Yeah, but yeah. at the same time, yes, the artists making money off of, it, but they're not making a lot of money. I think it's like a point zero two cents a song. Yeah, it's ridiculously small. Uh, yeah, yeah. Please don't come for Spotify or overlords. Thank you for hosting our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> they know what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. <laughs> but I, I just think I think this, I think Napster was the natural consequence of the internet and, and a sharing internet. And I think that that's like you can be mad at it all you want. But if it wasn't Napster, it was going to be something else. Okay. Fun story. We, uh, when I worked at Apple, Jennifer Lopez brought in her computer to the jeans oh, bar. Wait, back the fuck up. <laughs> what did you just say? <laughs> yeah, you heard me. Jennifer Lopez brought her computer into the Apple store. And this is pre when she was J-Lo. This was still like when she was Jennifer Lopez before she'd really done the Ben Affleck thing for the first time. And okay, that was, like, so this is, in, this is in New York City. Yeah, New York City. Okay. Uh, open up her computer. What do I see on her desktop as a shortcut? LimeWire. Yeah, I very much uh, ruined the family computers with LimeWire. So. That but that's a true story. <laughs> so you have someone who is a recording artist, a very famous recording artist. She wasn't at the height of her career. She wasn't Jenny from the Block yet. I don't think. I, I can't. I don't know when to place this on the timeline because I don't remember exactly when it happened. But I remember seeing her computer. Sure enough, LimeWire icon right on the desktop. So you know what? that doesn't work with me anymore Jennifer Lopez and Lars are not the same person (laughs) Jennifer Lopez is still pirating music before she was famous she was still famous we knew who she was we were like wow that's Jennifer Lopez's computer I bet Kanye West doesn't have a line wire on his computer Kanye West doesn't have a computer, and he's like Kanye four- West is currently renting a room in the Mercedes Benz Stadium. Yeah, and he's like dollars a night. <laughs> he, he's like four foot two, and when I met him and shook his hand, wait, hold it, on, wait, <laughs> back up again. <laughs> what did you just say? Again, at that same job, I, I met. This is really this this episode. I don't know what even to do with this, but I met him. He came down the stairs. I was supposed to handle him. It was a store opening. And we had a VIP, a team working with the VIPs. And when I shook his hand, you know, like when your hand is in water for too long and it kind of crinkles up, yeah. it felt like that. And he's tiny. He's teeny tiny. Like I'm a bigger dude, but he was like, I was like, I could put you in my pocket and walk you around this this place. <laughs> okay. Let <laughs> me just turn this episode into famous people. I, met. <laughs> I don't, there's a lot and I don't really want to go down there because it was all, most of them, it was very transactional. It wasn't like starstruck at all. It was, and a lot of them are a pain in the ass. <laughs> okay. Metallica closes out Saturday. <laughs> this episode about Woodstock. Uh, Metallica closes out Saturday. And I'm sure as you can imagine, that just amped up the energy more. And it got there's more unrest. Uh, a guy died during Metallica set from heat exhaustion. Uh, and it was very much, I placed the blame on the security staff at Woodstock because they just assumed that he had a drug overdose. Yep. And what actually happened, this guy went into hypothermia because he got too hot. 
and he had a heat stroke and passed out due to heat exhaustion. And since the security guards thought that he was ODing, they put the powers on him and it killed him. Yep. Yep. So, and I mean, that, that ultimately goes again to the promoters. Yeah. For either not hiring enough and, and definitely not hiring well-trained enough, even though... Not hiring competent people right. who run even this though, event. Even though Cher says, your Shear says, you know, that he they were very well-staffed tra- and that's why they had such a hard time finding the right security people in the bullshit. documentary. You're like, ah, oh, that's such bullshit. Then they cut to a security, one of the guys that was working security telling how easy it was to get them certified with the state of New York. And yeah. it was a three-hour class, and the last two hours was, was the instructor telling them what to put on the test so they could pass. I, and I, I got to be honest, if I'm presented with both of those stories, I'm going to believe the one from the actual person who was working security at the event. So, yeah. fuck the promoters. Fuck them. This, and is, during, this is a disaster. Yeah, man. Uh, during this time, MTV is, um, I'm assuming, having a ball. With this coverage, because controversy creates cash, yep. and there was so much controversy at Woodstock '99. Um, from the looks of it, they had around-the-clock coverage on Woodstock '99, and just they were tearing it apart. And I mean, justifiably so. You had Carson Daly going on there talking about what a disaster it was. People that were getting hurt, people that <laughs> were getting assaulted, booed the fuck off the stage, which is exactly what he had coming. <laughs> <laughs> What's the problem with Carson Daly, man? Oh, he's a douchebag. <laughs> There's no alleged. He really is. I, I have no. Yeah, he was always a, a dork in way over his head. There was there were there were cool VJs, and then there were Carson Daly. And then there's Carson Daly. Oh, shout out to my boy Sway. Let's talk about cool VJs. Sway, he was a cool VJ. Matt Penfield. I I like Kurt Loder. I, I think he's a I think he's a respectable. Even though he gets the the promoter buries him in this documentary, and I like Kurt Loder. Uh, MTV news legend Kurt Loder. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, what do you think about John putting the blame on MTV? Do you think any of I it think was he's covering his tracks? I think he knows exactly what he did. I think he, at the end of the day, there's no way you you don't realize that you cut corners for this event. Bad shit happened. You got to find a scapegoat, right? So who's your scapegoat? MTV and Limp Bizkit. And and I think that that's what happened, and that's what he's and even to this day, that's been his story is that he blames. Limp Bizkit and MTV for for this reputation when in fact it's there's so much more to the story and I think the documentary does a really good job of exposing a lot of that and bringing on another for their voices it's like if you're the only guy screaming Limp Bizkit and uh, MTV and everybody else is going uh, no it's not actually that I I'm, I'm I tend to believe the other people in the room people that are not fans of Fred Durst coming to the aid of Fred Durst really like. Hundred percent, and I'm shows, and I'm not a fan of the band, but I'm 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 here defending them. I think that they yeah. I think that they were they were framed the wrong way, uh, um, and the other guy eventually actually came around and said, you know, not not John Shear because he hasn't changed his his tune at all. But um, James was like, hey, yeah, we did we we didn't do this right. We did a lot of bad things. Like we just didn't do it right, and yeah. I think that's pretty telling. Circling back to uh, what Austin said about the predominantly white angry male vibe. That was at the concert. Uh, there's a scene. Kid Rock played earlier Saturday. While we're on Saturday, I think I'll mention this. There's a clip from the documentary of him. You know, he's talking to the crowd, amping them up. Ba wada ba, just doing Kid Rock stuff. And he's talking to the crowd, and he's like, "This uh, this is as political as I will get." Monica Lewinsky is a hoe, and Bill Clinton is a pimp. To outrageous cheers from the crowd, and yeah. that really it 
kind of says all that needs to be said about, about Woodstock 99, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, yeah, I actually, I, I agree. I mean, it was a different time. And I have to say, my view of that situation then and now were different as someone who kind of was consuming media at the time. I mean, she was, yeah. she was as vilified as you could be. And you look back at it now. And it's, I wouldn't give the president a blowjob, but I'd she, give the president a blowjob. You, you'd give <laughs> which one? Probably Obama. Fuck, fuck, <laughs> fuck boy Dalton comes out all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, Obama, let me see that dick, man. <laughs> I wouldn't. I don't think, I think everybody who's been president has been a despicable motherfucker. But oh, yeah, you, I'm not a fan of U.S. presidents. So I don't think no, they're, you're not they're, a fan. You just give him a blowjob. What's going on, Dalton? Dude, listen, if he's in, he's the fucking president. He's got the nuke codes, dog. <laughs> He can bomb my house in an instant. I'm, I'm going to blow the president. <laughs> I don't think that the stakes were really that high with Monica Lewinsky. I think she was. You don't young, think she would have gotten fired on the spot if she didn't give Bill Clinton a blowjob? I don't think it happened like that. I think it was a gradual thing. I think it was a guy who's the most powerful man in the United States who is also a sexual predator before. Ar- arguably the, the most powerful man on the planet. Yeah, arguably. Okay. In, in, in title, the most powerful man in the United States. Who preyed on a young intern. Yeah. Which is gross. Yeah, it is gross. Monica Lewinsky was a victim. She really was. Official and stance, if you catch my grift. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. So, But anyway, that's a really shitty take. And you know what? It really explains Kid Rock's evolution going forward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is, <laughs> failed yeah. rapper, failed country singer, failed rock artist, Kid Rock. Yeah. This is, this is, he's trash. Don't like uh, him either. But what about is a bop there? Yes. All right, moving. <laughs> so let's <laughs> get on. to Sunday. Let's get to well, Sunday. We'll move on to Saturday night first. Yeah, man. Just uh, the stories that the young women had from, I think they highlighted it Saturday night of getting groped and uh, the stories of rape and sexual assault. And I don't know, man, just about security, even. they t- There was a. Uh, scene with a security guard and the guy asked him did you use that badge to get pussy and he said yes i did proudly he proudly said yes i did and that kind of tells you all you need to know about uh saturday night (laughs) to be honest yeah and i don't don't know what a point in this concert that it happened but there was a um a 15 year old girl who was sexually assaulted and the man that was arrested for it and i i didn't follow this down the whole because I couldn't find it, like I couldn't find where the story was, but he was allegedly a um, New a York correct, State, yeah, corrections officer in New York State. Yeah, yeah. Uh, can I say fucking a- horrible? I mean, yeah. fucking horrible. Like you know what? One case of this is too bad. You know, I mean, it's bad, and I and I know that you know it, it's not like all three hundred thousand people were terrible people. There, but there were some in there, and there was not enough infrastructure to stop it from happening it's it was just you know it was too many people with too little staff and and everything was it was everything was a just wrong with the situation it was too hot there was you know people were dehydrated people were hyper- i don't know rivers of shit yeah it was i mean i knew it was bad but i didn't know how bad it was until i watched this this documentary and i was like oh god i'm just fucking angry at everybody everybody involved Sunday, fast forward to Sunday, people are exhausted. People are leaving. And uh, that night, Red Hot Chili Peppers headlined. And I got to say, Flea, what a cock. 
there's a <laughs> if I was loaded like that, I play naked too. <laughs> <laughs> I think Dalton's been spending too much time around me. I gotta be honest. He's talking about <laughs> blowing Obama and and <laughs> P's third flea's third leg. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm comfortable, man. <laughs> it's okay. I've always been this way. You can't change me. But <laughs> but uh you know, during Red Hot Chili Pepper set, promoter came up to them and told them things were getting out of control. And at this point, the crowd started using candles that were given out to supposed to uh, they were supposed to pay honor to the victims of the Columbine shooting, which happened three months earlier. And what the concert goers did was use these candles to light fires. They were taking anything that could be torn apart lighting it on fire and there's big massive just what would you call them pits yeah. of fire all around like the crowd fires basically yeah like big bonfires made out of uh woodstock concert equipment and the promoter came up to the lead singer of red hot chili peppers and told him hey man listen things are getting out of control we need you to kind of calm this down you can just go out there and help us out so what does he do he plays Fire by Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> See, that's that's the that's the thing is like Anthony Kiedis doesn't get any of the shit in this. Like it's all heaped on Fred Durst. And I, <laughs> I put as much responsibility on Kiedis and the Chili Peppers as I do Fred Durst. Because I think that like again, I think you have I don't think he's solely responsible for people starting fires, but he, he knew what he was doing. He was trolling the shit out of them. You know, like he was he was he was it, it you know, he could have taken in a different direction but he was like hey fuck it let's just do this this is already happening um and again like i said i don't blame them and i don't think that they're the reason that this happened i think there's so many other reasons it happened but i also think that there was a little bit irresponsible of of them um i think it would have happened with or without the red hot jelly peppers i think it would have but i I, who's to say how much it would have escalated you know if they hadn't played that song at that time yeah you know and so the fires was a really big part, uh, I mean, a part of the disaster. It, it, it is worth saying that uh, there was an estimated 75,000 people who had left over the course of Sunday during the day. Like, they'd kind of picked up on the big bad vibes that were going on. And they're like, we're getting out of here. Plus, how long do you want to stay at a place like that, right? There's sewage right. everywhere. It's 100 degrees. There's pavement. I mean, everything's paved. The the prices are outrageous. Like, how, how long do you want to stick around? Like, if you can get a head start on the other hundreds of thousands of people you might you might do that you might leave you know that's, how that's, long was the distance between the two stages it was i don't know but it was a, it was a walk plus you had so many people right right i think it was around a mile that's yeah, what i said around it, a mile walk. it's crazy i mean i know that from the entrance to the main stage actually i don't know what that was I, there was a mention in the documentary no i should have paid better attention they were talking about like there was 2.3 miles of runway but maybe that was all together Right. On that on that Air Force Base. Um also just the Air Force Base, like Peace, Love, and B fifty twos, I think was one of the headlines I saw. Right. Which, right. Was pretty which is a very uh stark difference from stock sixty nine, right? It's supposed yeah. to be like this big hippie vibe and you know, fight the man, fight the power type stuff, and then flat uh, flash forward uh sixty help me out with math, thirty years later, and right. you're holding it on a military base. Also, you know, and they interviewed Jewel, and I liked one of the things she said, and I didn't like the other thing that she said. I, I really don't like this trope, and Jewel's too young to be a boomer, but boomers use it a lot, 
where they are like, hey, look at our, my generation. We were out there protesting the war and we were out there with a reason. We were we were promoting, you know, peace and, and love and eh, fuck off. I don't want to hear that shit. I hate that meme. I hate, and they're like, new generations don't have anything to fight for. And it's like, no, it's because the boomers have made it impossible for people to protest without getting beat up or pepper sprayed. It's like it's the violence has gone escalated so much since then. It's really difficult, and the media has is become a complete another shill for anything the White House and the government says. So it's like we're not getting the full truth, and and right. that's well, we never not, will. People should be a lot angrier, and and that should lead to more protests. But she did say this was. She said something along the lines of. I wrote it down. Hang on. Really professional. Wait, so you actually have notes? And we've just been freestyling this whole time? I had a couple of notes. I've been, <laughs> I've been looking at them. She said, I, she said something about along the lines of how this was a concert that they threw without a real purpose, you know? And I think that that's an interesting take. And it's like Woodstock was ostensibly about peace and love and anti-war, even though I don't agree that that was actually the, the, the real motivation behind it. I think that it was just like, Hey, let's get all, there was a lot of big concerts that were going on at the time. And I think promoters saw it as a way to make money. I, I don't think that Woodstock was like that. Um, but it's become that like, that's now the myth. That's the legend behind the original Woodstock. But this is a concert that has no, no unifying theme other than let's put a, get, get a bunch of bands and pay them more than they usually get per gig to come because this is in the middle of nowhere. The closest hotels was like a, it was like a best Western. It was over an hour away. Um, I mean, this was way in the middle of nowhere and yeah, let's, I mean, let's just throw a show because we want to make some money on this and we want to make some money on these kids. And so I thought that was really interesting as for, Oh, go ahead. Another take. There's, there's festivals happening all the time that don't have a purpose. My wife's went to like three music festivals this year and she's going to another in September and they're not, you know, for a cause or whatever. It's just shows for the sake of shows. Yeah, you know but they I also mean? don't have three hundred thousand people. Oh, I would they, argue. Yeah, they, okay. Yeah, EDC Orlando was huge. She uh, showed me pictures from that because, of course, I didn't go. I'm not a rave guy. But uh, she was front row by the rail, and she showed me pictures from a photographer uh, that was on stage, and you could see her. that was right there at the front row by the rail, but then behind her, just thousands of people. Like it looked like an endless sea of people and it was insane. <laughs> but there's, but I mean, there's a difference between like a stadium show that holds 40 to 80,000 people in like a major stadium versus literally this is hundreds of thousands of people. This is a stadium show. This is like out in a field, like in the middle of rural Orlando. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. I, you I'll, show you, I'll show you pictures. Right, sounds good. Again, for an audio <laughs> podcast. Um, I do want to get back to the, to the, like the damage that was caused by the fires and kind of the, the roundup of this. Um, it ended up being 12 tractor tailors. Uh, they set fire to a small bus, several portable toilets. They overturned at least one car and term uh, and destroyed several vendor booths, ATMs, light stands, and a speaker tower. The speaker tower is so cool to watch happen because <laughs> there's a scene in the documentary where they show them ter- like turning over to speaker tower. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, like watching that thing fall down, it's like fuck yeah, destroy it, rip it but all see, from the ground. And that's <laughs> the thing is like you understand what they're feeling and what they're doing, and then if you're subjected to, because I feel like that's like a primal base emotion that we've got, you know, that that's still there in most people, and then you put all this other shit on top of it, which is like 
lack of food, lack of water, really hot temperatures, you know, like it, it just, it, it there's, there, I, you knew, like anybody who was looking should have known that this was going to happen. Yeah. Did you get that many angry kids with you're keeping water from them and you're keeping food from them? They're going to get angry. And, and you're covering them in shit and it's a hundred yeah. degrees outside on pavement. I'm going to tell you, I know Atlanta is, or I mean, Georgia is hot, but there's nothing. City heat is so different because you're out there on pavement and that there's no trees, there's no shade, there's no cover. And walking around on concrete, hot concrete on a day, any day that's over 90 degrees is fucking miserable. It's like being in a pizza oven. <laughs> it's essentially the same thing. <laughs> and, and, you know, Jewel was right. Woodstock may have not had a purpose like when it was, well, Woodstock 99 may, may have not had a purpose whenever they, you know, brought thought of the concept, but by Sunday night, they had a purpose and it was to protest capitalism. And but they didn't know that. No, they didn't know, but that's what's so cool. Not cool. It's not cool that, you know, the bad things happen that happen, but the protest part, that's what's so cool about that is they were protesting capitalism without even knowing they were protesting capitalism. Yeah. But they'd also, they, yeah, they had to be a victim of it before they knew or before they got angry. And that's the sad part. Okay. Yeah. I didn't think about that part. No, but no, I, I, I'm totally agreeing with you. I am. Yeah. I'm just putting that in there. It's like, it, it takes abuse of, of people to get to that point. And we feel and like gonna, the pores now. We are, <laughs> I'll be right there with the pores. Don't you worry. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I do want to talk about uh, Tom Morello, who was, played on Saturday, was the headliner, I think, on Saturday, who was obviously another band that can get people up and moving and really, you know, invigorate a crowd. Also, um, Rage Against the Machine. Very cool. Fucking Very cool. <laughs> we, we agree on something. It's nice. <laughs> so he was actually wrote a, a or had a, wrote a piece that was published in the New York Times. And one of the things that he talked about, and I, I'm just going to read directly from it. He said, "Hey man, leave the kids alone. I've had enough of the frenzied uh, demonization of young people surrounding Woodstock '99. Yes, Woodstock was filled with predators." The degenerate idiots who assaulted these women, the greedy promoters who wrung every cent out of thirsty concert goers, and last but not least, the predator media that turned a blind eye to real violence and scapegoated the quarter of a million music fans at Woodstock 99, the vast majority of whom had the time of their lives. Tom Morello, very cool. <laughs> right? He, he also <laughs> said, he said it was... Um, Grossly hypocritical that treating Woodstock was more outrageous than the bombing of Yugoslavia by the uh, by NATO earlier this year. And he's got a point. I mean, this is a guy who's politically aware enough of the world to say, hey, this event that in the destruction of property has now consumed the media, whereas NATO going over and dropping bombs on Yugoslavia which is a complicated situation, but you know, killing killing thousands of people from a bomb strike, and it got no coverage at all. Yeah, or very and little. That's really what it takes here in America, right? It takes the destruction of property to be featured prominently on the news. You know what it goes back to, Dalton, and I'm going to tie this back into if you catch my grift themes. If you pick on the little people, the poor people immigrants or poor people in other countries we don't give a shit but you start messing with like expensive speaker towers you start burning tractor trailers which belong to people that have means then we freak out yeah 
Yeah, and it's not it's very not cool. <laughs> you know, no, it's not that, okay in a lot yeah. of ways. And you know, bombing is bombing anything. I know it's a complicated situation, but dropping bombs is universally bad. I don't care if it's bad people. I don't care if the country is ran by a bad person. You know, the citizens, the citizens of that country, don't deserve to suffer. Yeah, well, and it is it is complicated, but it's worth. I mean, it's oof, that's a whole episode on the Kosovo War that is meant for podcasts. Oh, that's Kosovo. It was up bad serving Kosovo. Did he? Yeah, uh, fucking hate him. Scott Clements, fucking choke, die. <laughs> <laughs> k-word yourself <laughs> um so that's it's there's people out there that can better speak about it but yeah i think you know dropping bombs versus a you know uh, rioting and and i mean there was some awful stuff that happened at woodstock but it's, it's really I, in my mind it's hard to compare i'm not i'm not gonna diminish or um belittle charges of sexual assault or you know anything like that but i think the like the primary story was not about sexual assault it was the the media was about destruction of property and i think the destruction of property versus bombing which also is way bigger destruction of property when it's when it's bombing schools and government buildings and homes versus uh, some fucking concert equipment in a field or on an Air Force base? God, get the fuck out of here, man. That's not you even... You know why the sexual assault wasn't covered, right? It was white people doing it. Yeah. If it was... if it was, Let's say it was like a hip-hop festival and something like that happened. Oh, God. Oh, God. Would, yeah. You're right. That would that would be all it was covered. And, you know, what happened? It was about 99. It wasn't just sexual assault. It was gang rape happening there. Yeah. And, you know, just tons... Of, there was a scene in the documentary of this dude just like multiple dudes in a circle pulling their dicks out around this girl. And, you know, they had to tell like, Hey man, back up. You're making her scared, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And just imagine if that was a hip hop festival that was happening at that gang rate would be all you see on CNN at any given time. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I do. The one line I, I wrote down that I like, and I, I think this was true then. I think it's still true now. Um, one of the the commentators on the documentary, and I was, I didn't take the name down, so I apologize for that. But it says, um, "Older people are scared of younger people." Fuck yeah, kids are scary. Not not kids. <laughs> no, I'm fucking with you. <laughs> but I think it's true. I think it's like there's a lot of older people telling younger people what they should do without actually realizing. That's not necessarily in their best interest or no. in their, their, what they, you know, that's not what they want to do, you know? And it's, it's, it's very much like it's, it's a, they, people don't want to be replaced by the generation below them, even though it's inevitable. And so you they know, hold on. Tom's passed them by and they're too dumb to realize it. That's why we have, you know, last two presidents have been over 70 years old. It's like, it's, yeah. you know, you don't really have the thumb on the nation and what's going on. If you're an octogenarian, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that word means. It just means in your 80s. Neither okay. of them were, but they, you know, they they could be. I don't know. That's that's my thing. That's my opinion. I had a lot of feelings coming out of that, and hopefully, I was able to express some of them on this podcast that may or may not ever come out. <laughs> Hard, maybe. But uh, Megadeth closed out the night on the other stage, opposite of. Uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, and they played the song Peace Sells, but who's buying? And I think that perfectly, that's a perfect closer. For Are you a Megadeth fan? 
Uh, I like a, f- a couple songs, uh, not not too much. But I have a weird opinion. Uh, Kill 'Em All is the best Metallica album, and the album features Dave Mustaine. However, Megadeth is not as good as Metallica if you think about their whole catalog. So, yeah, I I I'm boy, I got to get some heat on this. I prefer Megadeth to Metallica. All right, close the chat. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I've just not been a huge Metallica fan, so maybe that's what it is. And the, the idea of Dave Mustaine always being around, being a total asshole, and just going, fuck off, Lars, <laughs> makes me really happy. <laughs> and I don't know. I just kind of like that. I think Megadeth's got like a total of one really good album, one really solid album. But that album is enough for me. Okay, that's fair. I'm a, I'm a big uh, first four albums Metallica fan. I know, and I'm definitely in the minority for this, but that's just that's that's my that's my oddball take. I can already see some of our mutual friends just fucking slaying me for that, but I I'm gonna stand by it. Also, hot take. Oop, didn't mean to hit you. Sorry, Mike. Hot take. Saint Agar is a good album. Is that one of the newer ones? Oh, okay. You don't, yeah. There's a controversy around Saint Anger. It's when the after they did Load and Reload, which is their MTV era. Right, albums, I remember like, those two. You know, alt rock albums. And they came back to uh, the hard rock metal scene with St. Anger. And it gets a lot of flack because of Lars's drumming on the album. Uh, the snare isn't attached to the snare drum on the album. So every time he hits the snare drum, it sounds like somebody's hitting like a steel barrel. And I really like that sound, but <laughs> other people fucking hate it. <laughs> <laughs> also, Kill em All is a punk album. Don't anybody tell you different. <laughs> nah. Was- dude, I'm telling you, dude, that's like... A punky version of a uh, Motorhead album. Motor, nah, Motorhead album is what I describe it as. Like it, it's so good, man. Maybe it's in like, style, but not an attitude. Okay, that's fair. That's yeah, fair. it's. I don't know about the attitude. Punk for me was always an attitude, which is why you could have a band like the Ramones and the Sex Pistols sound so different, but be called punk. Like punk was so different in the, the the acts and the artists that it was you know it encompassed right that it was more of a for me it was it was it's a weird fit as a genre because it's more of an attitude. Well, I agree with you because I consider like bands like Nirvana to be a punk band because yeah. of the attitude of the music that they're playing. But they were, I mean, they they acknowledged their punk roots, so they were the next generation, right? They were grunge. They were like a blink of the eye, but they were like. We I don't. Them. I won't classify Nirvana as grunge. Like uh, Alice in Chains, that's grunge. That's, well, grunge is whatever. <laughs> I'd say that's late grunge. Well, what band was opposite Nirvana? Like coming up the same time as Nirvana? Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam. That's grunge. Fuck Pearl Jam. I don't give a fuck about Pearl Jam. It's <laughs> like Evan flow up your fuck fucking asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy spoken. <laughs> How does that have the same genre as Nirvana? Like, it doesn't sound anything alike in message and music. I think they were trying to, well, in message, they were play, they were talking about women's rights. And I think that in message, it was kind of the same. And I think that that's probably, I think it's like the punk conundrum was, ethos, or, or, yeah. you know, ethos. That's the word. That's the word I wanted. But in the, in the ethos, it was like, hey, this blankets all these progressive rockers that don't sound like anything else that's on the radio right now and really blew everybody out of the water but none of that is about woodstock 99 
because none of those bands half of Woodstock what we 99. talked about on this podcast has not been about Woodstock 99 yeah we're gonna see what this happened how this goes <laughs> <laughs> oh god and um, why did you have to be busy <laughs> <laughs> oh man i might just title this episode Dalton and Austin have a conversation vaguely about Woodstock 99 that actually would work that would work i'd say <laughs> Maybe put something else in front of it, but like, um, if you miss my grift. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like, this this will definitely be like, uh, well, I can call it. I can call it Dalton Austin talk about some bullshit, and then colon vaguely about what's stuck. <laughs> okay, are we are we done? I think are we're, done. Do, we're done. Don't you feel done? What do you feel like? Do you got anything I, else to say about it? I feel like we missed the point. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? I feel like I feel like <laughs> I don't know how to feel about this episode. I think, I, it, I think it's very funny. <laughs> I think it's entertaining. I, I think I hope it's entertaining. I think that we I think we drove the point. At least I hope that we drove the point. Okay. Um, that there were a, this was a, a concert about making as much cash as possible. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and the crowd be damned. And I think when it started to go wrong. Immediately, they pointed their focus at one band in particular, other bands as well, but really one band in particular to take the fall for it. And I think that that's so that's really fucked up. And I also think that after this happened, the fact that they were talking about doing a 50th anniversary uh, Woodstock festival in 2019 is absolutely bonkers. And I, I can can't just believe- imagine Fred Durst in his little shitty red hat going, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's it's true. I mean, he's had this this John Shares had so much venom for Durst and kept he calls him a moron in every interview I've seen. And oh, it's yeah. just it's it's very much like okay, you fucked up, you know it. You still made out like a bandit, but you've got to make yourself look good so that you can continue to do this bullshit, which is every grifter we've ever covered. Yeah, yeah. You get caught, it's not your fault. That's that's a theme. You get caught, it's due to someone else. You know, look at Trudeau. He gets caught, it was because of the federal government. Look at A. A. Allen. He gets caught, it's because of the 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 other preachers that are conspiring against him in law enforcement. You look at Leroy Jenkins. It was because of the police and the government. I mean, like they all blame these other things for their own actions that they're totally in control of. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's uh, yeah. You're right. All right, maybe the job's point home. You're right. That's my point. There we go. <laughs> I'm sticking to it. In a word. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, but I, I think I, I think at the end of the day, if Woodstock 99 is nothing but a, a... I mean, I think it's important in the way that I hope and I think, I strongly think that other shows learn their lesson. We talked a little bit about Coachella at the beginning, um, but I think other people learned, hey, don't do a show like this ever. Right. And thankfully, that really hasn't been the case. I think there's been two shows in history that have been like this. Altamont, which is awful. What is that? That was the Rolling Stones concert um, that actually got moved at the very last minute to the Altamont Raceway. And the Stones and the Grateful Dead were playing together and decided to hire, instead of traditional security, they hired the Hells Angels as security. Oh, my God. And a guy ended up getting killed, murdered by the Hells Angels. And it turned into absolute fucking chaos. Is there like a documentary of this? I can watch? Yes, there is. But it's, yep, there is. There is. Uh, it's called Gimme Shelter. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. 
it's it's wild because it was all caught on camera. All right, any uh, closing thoughts about Woodstock '99? No, let's just talk about our friends and get the fuck out of here. We have friends. Uh, check out our friends at Pod Van Dam, IWTV guys, super fantastic wrestling. Cheers, sweet stuff and bitter things podcast. Uh, the lights are starting to go out. Better make this quick. <laughs> uh, Hard headed X over. Uh, check us out on Twitter. We are on Twitter at if you catch my fucking shit. We're on Twitter at CatchMyGriffPod. I'm on Twitter at CatchDalton. And Austin is on Twitter at... Austin Agogo. Um, yeah, don't be money-hungry, greedy fucks that blame women for getting sexually assaulted. Uh, thanks, guys. Austin. Stay beautiful. There it is. He finally found a thing to say right here on... <laughs> if you catch my grift! <laughs> this is the best outro we've ever done. It is. It is. We brought it back together well. Hell yeah, we had a disaster of an episode, but the ending is great. <laughs> nobody will ever reach it. But <laughs> <laughs> Ain't nobody going to see our perfect landing. <laughs> Boy, there was a lot of turbulence on this flight, but man, did we land the plane well. Get your fucking parachute on. Because <laughs> we ain't making it all the way there. <laughs> oh, man. That was fun.
Oh, God. My screen was off when I came in, and I was like, oh, no, did my computer shut off? (laughs) (laughs) Before we start back getting on the subject, uh, so I don't have to edit anything else out, this White Claw has been in my grandma's fridge for well over a year. How does it taste? Funky. Yeah, I bet it does. (laughs) We We close our office in March, you know, for COVID, and we went back. We work in there. June, people were opening up like sodas. They were like, "This is nasty." <laughs> like, who knew? <laughs> like, eventually, obviously, everything goes bad. But I thought it would have taken longer than a year. Yeah, man. Uh, we all lived with my grandma before we started living here, and uh, I always stashed alcohol like in the back of the fridge. And uh, yeah, she never noticed. No, she never noticed. Wow. And yeah, this was there, and I remembered while I was over there right before I came here, and. Oh man, it's bad. But I opened it, so I'm gonna drink it. I think that's maybe the Easter egg. <laughs> okay, uh Fred Durst, Fred Durst, where were we Fred Durst? 